Can you hear me? I can't hear you yet. Can you, are you hearing me okay? Yeah. Checking to make sure it's not my settings. I think I have it set up the right way. Oh, it's still trying to, it's trying to put them on a different source. Oh. There you are. Can you hear me now? Yep, I got it. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> you have a very interesting background. This is my toy room. This is like my, when I say I'm like a hardcore nerd, that's like, these are all my mint in the box, like Star Wars toys and everything. Yeah, I've, um, I've dated men that have bedrooms like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is just one room in the house. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I have a long, I, I, I'm not necessarily, um, a nerd or a geek myself, like fully. I have, I have like interest, I've dabbled in it, but I definitely, definitely seem to have a thing for men that are. Mm -hmm. um, because they're usually pretty intelligent, you know? There's something like most people I know that are really into Star Wars or Star Trek or any of that sci-fi, science-y stuff are intelligent people. So I seem to be drawn to them. I like yeah. intelligent people. Because or at least you can fake it pretty good. Yeah. Well, because there's a lot of science. I mean, it's science fiction. And there's a lot of, it's, it's based in like, what if science were to evolve in a way, you know, to where we could have space travel like that, um, which is completely plausible. That, uh, so yeah, I think, I don't know. In my experience, most like heavy nerds are pretty intelligent. I've dated a lot of, I've also managed, I figured I've dated a lot of men that are on the spectrum. Hmm. Um, like not purposely by any means, but just like in hindsight, I'm like, oh yeah, seems to be a theme of mine. But um, they're action figures, right? Or do you, are you like, some people get really like, it's not a toy. Uh, well, no, no, some of them are definitely toys because it's like, there's a, there's a big Lego collection as well. Oh, but yeah. Legos are not action figures. Legos are toys. So. Yes. Yes. <laughs> no, Luke, quit licking my... He is... Who's the dog? This is Luke. He's licking my cleavage, which is weird. <laughs> yeah. He's not very good with the camera. He doesn't really pay attention. He doesn't... I don't... It's like he doesn't see the screen. Mm-hmm. Like, I've video chatted with my kids who he knows and he's still not oh there he goes he's looking at it no little face you little face with your lip and he's got an underbite all right that's enough <laughs> he likes to lick inside my ear which is so gross uh, yeah um yeah so hello donna um i don't think we have we met in person we have not we have yeah. not we were just starting to launch the new um open mic night in Wheat Ridge which I was like totally looking forward to coming to and participating and then the week it was supposed to go the, all the restaurants and bars shut down and then yes the first one it shut yeah. down that day um yeah that was gonna and it still is it's still gonna happen I'm still in communication with the general manager you know it's not it's not, um, it'll come back. And it was gonna be a new comedy hotspot. And she actually reached out to the comedy community and was like, I wanna put on comedy shows. And so there was gonna be a comedy show every Saturday there. 
and wow. then, uh, open mic on Mondays. Um, yeah, I was going to have a weekly newbie showcase there. And then, yeah, I just started producing period in Denver. I've been here since last June, you know, and just kind of got my footing to where I felt stable enough to start producing and adding on more responsibilities. And I had a monthly show at the book theater. I was planning for art of comedy. And of course I still have my festival planned and, um, yeah, I was going to produce a monthly show, a newbie showcase at, at iPi, and then my, my, my mic at iPi. but it'll come back. It's going to happen. It'll be the first, actually that mic and that show at iPi are going to be the first thing that come back as soon as they're open, as soon as we're allowed to, nice. to do it. Cause it's going to be real easy to get it back. Whereas my stuff at the bug theater, um, not the festival, cause I've got those dates booked. But, you know, it'll, that's going to, I have to get back with them and see what their openings are and, and do all that stuff. So it's going to take, it's a little more, you know, coordination to get it going. But the, the pizza place, the iPie will, as soon as we're allowed to, we're all ready. We're all ready to go. The comedians that want to produce the shows there. So. Oh yeah. I'm chomping at the bit to do anything in front of a live audience that's for sure <laughs> yeah even if that audience is just all the comedians i don't care yeah i just yeah. Can't. my husband's like the worst critic in the world and i don't know if this is part of the official interview or not but <laughs> i like to spend the first that's why i had to up it for more than an hour because i don't even the people that i have met and i know like my friends that i'm interviewing i spend at least 15 20 minutes just catching up with them how's your life you know mm -hmm. and so i'm actually going to use i have another podcast i'm planning so that i i can use all these parts because i have some i talked with one friend uh rosa i don't know if you know her she lives up in fort collins for like three hours and there was some good stuff in there that it has nothing to do with art of comedy mm -hmm. um but it's still just so interesting that i want it out there so I, i'm actually um my other podcast is going to be the fat lonely bitch and <laughs> So I'm going to, and then that I'm going to, once I get all like this week, I'm really busy with these interviews, but once I get these done, I'm going to start and that's going to be, I want to interview whoever, like anybody, like you don't have to be a comedian. Like I'm going to try to get my mom on there and my kids and just my friends. And it's just about me being a fat, lonely bitch and conversing with people in the only way I can. And Cool. Maybe people will listen to it and find it interesting. Maybe they won't. I don't care. Right. <laughs> it's a thing to do. Right. So Podcast therapy. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of them coming out now. And sure, I'm jumping on a bandwagon, but I don't care. If it keeps my name in people's faces, even if they don't listen. That's yeah, I, I have a podcast like that. <laughs> yeah, I think it'll be fun. See, I'm finding out all these people have podcasts that I don't know about, too. But... um that's actually my another thing. This has been all for business. I haven't launched my comedy one. Oh, okay. I've had the name reserved for my comedy podcast since 2017. I just haven't started. <laughs> the what, is, what is it? Uh, coyote Vision or Coyote Tales. So oh. this Coyote Visions and the Coyote stuff all ties in together. That, that was like my nickname in college. When I was a DJ, it was... My name was Donna Coyote, which was kind of ironic because I wasn't actually allowed to talk on the air, but I had my own DJ name. So, yeah, I'm, I don't have an ego problem at all. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, um, 
I don't have anybody to bounce comedy off of right now. And I haven't really been writing anything. Um, I, uh, you know, I did a virtual, my first virtual open mic yesterday and, um, I just kind of like talked, I guess I worked a little material in there. Um, I'm on a show Saturday where I got 20 minutes, so I should probably prepare something to say for 20 minutes. Um, because I, I don't, it's like, I obviously don't have to do 20 minutes, but if you're going to give me 20 minutes of me being able to just talk, I'm going to use every minute of it. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so I haven't really been doing a lot of writing in this. Uh, I just don't find any of it funny yet. (laughs) I can understand that. And, uh, like a well, I guess you were kind of a small troupe, but like my original comedy coach Ron Ben Joseph and Dia Klein, one of his other clients, and then my son James, we've been putting on a virtual comedy show every Friday night for the past few weeks. So uh, we're scheduled to do our last one this coming Friday, and uh, that's been interesting to get. Kind of, did, we started with the idea of well, just doing like our stand-up bits, and then we was like, okay, well, let's do some comedy sketches, and now it actually plays out more like a radio show, where you we do a little bit of bizarre news, we do a discussion topic, and we try to be funny within that. So, like our last show last week was the best one we've done by far. So just when we get our formula done over, <laughs> the formula figured out, we're stopping. So yeah, why are you stopping? You know, everybody's not as into it, and um, it's kind of weird because it was like Ron's idea, but now I'm doing all the production on it, and yeah, it's been hard to keep my business going, although this week we're starting to make sales again, and it's just been a lot of work on my shoulders in particular, and it's like, okay, if we're going to have a troop of four, there's got to be more people participating than just me setting everything up, and then y'all run with it, you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Um, what is your business? I saw it in your email. I didn't yeah, so uh, my day job, so to speak, is I'm a career coach. So I help people with the practical tools for their job search. So we do a lot of resumes, LinkedIn profiles, interview coaching. I teach tons of stuff all about job searching. I've done national conferences. I do a little bit of keynoting. Um, mostly I do like breakouts, sessions, and all within that realm of career development. Oh yeah, that's I like. I was an HR manager for several years, um, so I help like a lot of my friends do a lot of that, just like for free. Uh, <laughs> I also used to manage long time ago. I used to manage like a um, an agency, a, a small staffing agency. So um, yeah, I've helped a lot of friends, and I I I change jobs a lot. So I I like. Um, every few years I change it. Usually every couple years for sure I change jobs. So I'm always looking for a job uh, a lot of times. And so just kind of keeping up on, so I'm kind of up to date on like the latest things. My LinkedIn profile currently is just completely devoted to comedy and comedy, creative, creative things. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I've, I've helped a lot of friends, especially with resumes. I'm pretty good at resumes because as an HR manager, I saw a lot of resumes and I just know from my experience, what ones made me, you know, 
want to even talk to that person and what ones were just like, I don't have time to read all that. <laughs> you know, like, like get to the point. Um, like three page resumes. I'm like, what? <laughs> Sometimes when we work with like executives, like people from like Abbott Pharmaceuticals and Johnson and Johnson have been on like the fast track career progression where they're changing jobs every two, three years and they have the 25 year career. Then we might do something along those lines. But I mean, that's kind of like, different world from most other people yeah background before all this was i did uh hr and recruitment for eight years too so yeah thing i started with is based on that practical aspects of getting through hr and impressing hiring managers yeah i i enjoy i enjoy i enjoyed managing the staffing agency and helping people find jobs and and stuff um I enjoy helping my friends. That's one, like recruiting and stuff is one aspect of HR that I enjoyed, but there's most of it that I did not mm -hmm. enjoy. <laughs> I don't like people. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually okay, I think, with HR. Yeah. Well, I don't know. There's so much, like, I had to help, you know, with benefits and stuff. And, mm. uh, yeah, because the, the company I worked for was not ACA compliant, so I had to help get them ACA compliant and then get all of our all of our people signed up for health insurance that weren't on it before. And I was just, you know, helping them kind of pick the right plan and, and answering their questions about the different plans and stuff. And, you know, I just want to, like, a simple question, like, how many, I just want to know how many prescriptions you take, like, how much do you use the doctor that's all i wanted to know but they would tell me what prescriptions they took and their health problems and i just like, way too much information yeah yeah. They, it all, yeah it was all over the phone because most of my employees were out in the field um like out they were in my actual office so thankfully a lot of it was via email and uh stuff so i didn't have to see them while they told me about all their weird health problems yeah yeah i was actually had gone back to school because i decided i wanted to move into like being an hr director or manager and my first degrees in music business management audio engineering and video production nothing to do with hr at all and in the hr specific degree and i was about halfway through that and then obamacare came on and i like took one look at all the requirements and I said, fuck that. I do not want to deal with all that regulation shit. So I changed my major, went to entrepreneurship, took my, uh, my day job to part-time, went to my business part-time, <laughs> just went from there. Thankfully we have like a broker that did, that, that understood the law. And I mean, I did, I actually read the entire ACA um and at one point was working on putting it in layman's terms for people um but that got too daunting i really i i i thought maybe i could like dumb it not dumb it down but you know what i mean put it in terms that that it, other people could understand because they couldn't understand it but i didn't understand it so then i had to like it was just too much learning and I was just like, never mind. But um, yeah, so it, we thankfully we had a broker that dealt with all that and was like, you know, gave us like eight plans to pick from that would all meet the criteria. And then we had to narrow it down and, um, <coughs> but it was a mess. 
Um, I was actually going to go back to school and get like a master's in human resources. I have a bachelor's in business and communication and an associate's in accounting. I was going to get a master's, like an MBA with the human resources uh, component. And I was going to get all the SHRM certifications. I was going to, I was really gung ho about it. And then I started doing comedy mm -hmm. and didn't care. <laughs> Have a day job now or do you just do comedy full time? I, I do not. I was, uh, I was door dashing um, until all this, which I'm probably going to have to start doing again soon. Um, uh, and I've had, I had a day job for a couple months. I was an AP clerk um, at a company, but I quit because they were just, it was just a mess. It was, uh, they were holding checks and there was just some, it just cash flow issues and shit that I didn't, I didn't like. Um, during the quarantine, I did get a job as an AP clerk for four days and then they fired me. Mm. Um, but you know, you'll probably understand this. My, I just want like a nice, simple AP clerk job, but I have years of experience doing AP and HR management. And I've been the manager and the head of a department and stuff. So I'm qualified to do my boss's jobs. Mm. And um, like with this last one, and it was all through chat. I think if we had been in person, maybe the misunderstanding wouldn't have happened. But, you know, he was like, I suggested a different process um, for processing the invoices and in a group chat with the other AP clerks. And so my boss, you know, privately was like, hey, you just need to stop. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. Just do our processes and and I was like, well, you hired me because I have 10 years of like accounts payable experience. And I thought you might want to use some of that experience. And, um, you know, I had done, I, I previous, you saw that I did a job where I, I processed a higher volume of invoices than you guys process by myself, where you have three people doing it. And I thought you might want to utilize some of that experience, but you know, if not, okay, you know, I, you know, sorry if I overstepped. Um, and then it was through an agency. So he didn't even have to fire me. He called the agency and they called me like, I'm literally working at three 30 on a Wednesday, like just doing my job. And I get a call, like you've been let go. And I'm like, what? Um, so it was, I don't know if it was because he was a man and I'm a woman or if he just didn't, cause he had just, he'd only been doing, he'd only been managing the AP department for like six months. And he, he, he doesn't have a background in AP. He has a background in like the higher level financing. Mm -hmm. And so I just felt like I was a better expert on accounts payable than he was. And, and I am. And so that's kind of hard when you, it's hard to get people to even hire you when they can see that you can do their job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've run into that too. But I don't want to do their job. I just want to be an AP clerk. I want a nice, you know, I don't want the responsibility, even if I could make more money. I had an opportunity offered to me um, where I would be an assistant controller starting out like 55,000 
Um, and then two or three years, she's basically trying to find her replacement. It was a small company. And so she was like the owner and her husband, both they wanted to retire. And so they were trying to find somebody to um, take over basically um, for them. And so in like three years, I would have been making like 75 at least. Um, but I didn't take it because I don't want that responsibility that comes with that money, you know? The more money, the more problems. The more money, the more responsibility you're expected to have. That's why they're paying you that. And I just like, I just want to be an AP clerk for like $18 an hour and do my job and go home. I don't want responsibility, but it's, now I just don't even want it at all. I, mm -hmm. I worked for a really good company here before that just worked like a well-oiled machine. Um, and that's one reason I got into accounting is because I like the structure and the, there's so much ambiguity in HR and the laws mm -hmm. around human resources that you, you, they don't really, it's not clear, you know, it's, yeah. it's like, well, this is kind of how it is. And you got to make this decision based on a lot of HR is just avoiding lawsuits. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it's cover your ass. That's yeah. That most important thing about HR, which I really didn't have a problem with. I'm pretty good at it. I'm really good at thinking of the worst case scenario. It's a, it's a way my anxiety has benefited me is I'm, you know, I can, I can think of the worst case scenario of a situation, <laughs> any situation. So that was a benefit in HR. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And even on the recruitment side, it's like, and people say, oh, I want to go get a job in HR because I really enjoy people. I'm like, okay, then don't go into HR because HR is not about people. HR is about regulation and policy. And protecting the companies. Oh. And the yeah. not the workers. That's not, yeah, HR is about protecting the company and what's best for the company and managing their human, their resource of human beings hmm. uh, like, a, like a number. You know, yeah, like, it's, it's just like I say with to my clients all the time. It's like, it's not HR's job to hire anybody. It's HR's job to cut all the candidates. And they're yeah. like, that doesn't seem fair. It's like, but that's what they have to do. It's, yeah. They can't put forward 200 people in front of a hiring manager. That's just not how it works. Yeah, no, or why have an HR department? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, it it wasn't a big part of my job was processing payroll, which I hate mm. because uh, like okay, accounts payable. I make a little mistake. I don't pay somebody enough, or I overpay them a few dollars. It's not that big a deal. We just work it out on the next bill. But you short pay somebody ten bucks, and <laughs> they're just it's just ugh. I hate yeah. it. But yeah. now I just, no, I don't, I just started to make money doing comedy before all this happened. <laughs> and so, um, but I mean, there's a lot of skills that I learned in the business world that I use for comedy for sure that I think give me a leg up, um, just understanding, especially like marketing and stuff. Um, oh, yeah. 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 This is like previously. Now, I've been doing comedy about a year and a half, and uh, Ron was the one who was setting up all of our shows, but it was mostly just showcases for, like, his students. Uh, and 
But I did make money. I, I am a professional comic. I made 50 whole dollars in 2019. And uh, so in January of 2020, I said to Ron, okay, do you want me to step in to be your producer? Because if I step in, I am taking over and I'm doing things my way. I'm not going to stomp on your toes without your permission to do so. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Go and run with it. And it's like, I got the uh, the first show I did in February, which was our anti-Valentine's Day show. I brought in other comics. I secured the venue. We had a burlesque dancer. And we had a sellout standing room only crowd. And it was an awesome show. I loved the way it turned out. And I made actual money on it. If I was able to pay the comics and the performers. And it was all great. And we were all set to do our next show in April which I ironically, now it's very ironically, it was entitled Death and Taxes. Way too real for our April this year. <laughs> There's too much death and no taxes. So. Yeah. <laughs> that show got canceled. Needless. <laughs> yeah, I, um, yeah, I just started really producing and stuff here in Denver. I produced, I'm from Wichita. I produced there pretty quickly out of necessity um because there just weren't a lot of shows if you wanted stage time you had to make it so um i initially wasn't gonna produce coming here to denver um because there are so many shows but then as my nonprofit developed and stuff and i just found i found i think a unique, you know, because I don't want to just do a showcase to have a showcase. I want to have mm -hmm. some sort of unique spin on it. So all my showcases were going to be fundraisers for my nonprofit. And um, I was going to do a newbie showcase um, at IPI that really focused on comedians that were ready to do five to seven minutes that had it before at a real show or people that had it featured and gotten chances to do 15 to 20 or headline and do 30. Um, you know, so that's what, it, that's what that show was going to be about was like newer comics. Cause I really do love new comics. Um, and I guess I'm, I'm rare in that from what I'm hearing when I say, when I talk about it, but just the, I think that I've always, the energy that new comics bring to me um, just because they're still energetic about it. And if you just hang out with people that have been doing comedy for 10, 15 years, a lot of them can be very jaded about the whole process. And so I don't want to become jaded before my time. Um, and I think hanging out with new comics and spending time with them and, and helping them develop and, and watching them, get better it, it brings me a lot of joy so um and, it, and i think it keeps me fresh and it keeps me excited about comedy in the process so and then you know um with the art of comedy helping people get into classes and for stand-up and improv um because i've it's just comedy has helped me so much and I want to give back and have, have it help other people mm -hmm. um, too. And so like, how did you, so you said you've been doing comedy for like a year and a half. How did you, like, what's your origin story? How did you get into it? So it's kind of a, a weird tale. And 
I want to take you on a journey way, way back to when I was a kid. I know how boring, right? Go ahead. When I was a kid, there were two things that I wanted to be when I grew up. Uh, first one was I wanted to be like a wacky morning DJ on the morning show on a radio station. Or my fallback was I wanted to be a stand-up comic. Perfectly reasonable career paths, right? So, uh, believe it or not, I actually did make it onto a morning show, a radio show. Um, so I did that goal. And... Back in 2018 is when I met my current speech and comedy coach. His name is Ron Ben-Joseph. And we were working on things for like the business side of what I do, the presentations, keynotes, those kind of things. And I offhandedly mentioned to him that I had this dream that I wanted to be a stand-up comic when I was a kid because I knew he did comedy too. And he's all like, oh, well, maybe we should explore that. I'm like, oh, Ron, that's ridiculous. I already had one childhood dream, dream career. I don't need to do two yeah. and he goes oh well you know don't let me stand in the way and crush your dream and of course then it just worked up in my head it's all like yeah I should not crush my dream I should go ahead and give this a shot and I started working with Ron on developing content and so the very first show I ever did was seven minutes as an opener for him and uh, then through most of that time, most of my sets were like 15 to 20 plus minutes long in the showcases that we did after that. Uh, so it's only within like the past year that I've really focused on getting things tightened up and doing shorter sets, uh, counting the laugh per minutes and those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I really, um, I really didn't think about laughs per minute and all that until I did comedy works. Uh, my two minutes set at Comedy Works. Mm -hmm. And um, they had just started, I, I don't know, like the week I did it or maybe the week mm -hmm. before, they had just started counting like how long it took to get your first laugh and your laugh per minute and stuff like that. And without trying, I did pretty well at that. And so now, um, now it's something I think about when I'm trying to plan like my next set for Comedy Works at least. Um, but you know, I've always, I, I, I didn't take classes, but I listened to a lot of podcasts about comedy and just, you know, um, like different comedy advice and stuff like that. Like the comedy works podcast they had, or, um, Anthony Crawford's podcast, um, talk and shop. I listened to all of those. And so there was talk in there of that, about just like starting strong and ending strong, and so that's kind of what I focused on. I mean, especially with two minutes, you just, you don't have a lot of time. You have to just punch, 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 punch for two minutes. Um, so I kind of accidentally did it without really thinking about it. But now I, and also there was a, there was somebody from like, I think it was America's Got Talent or one of those shows that reached out to me for my festival last year that I did in Wichita that wanted to come out which would have been amazing but they you know i had to pay for their airfare and their hotel stay and all that and i didn't have that kind of money in my budget um but they talked about you know you know submitting like submitting to 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 their their thing and how you have to have like you have to have like a laugh within 10 seconds you have to have a laugh every 15 seconds i can't remember how much it was there was like all this criteria 
Um, and I was like, whoa, <laughs> I've never thought about that. But it is something that when you get into professional level outside of like DIY comedy, when you're talking about doing clubs and getting on late night shows and stuff like that, that is something that they factor in. Um, mm. So it's something that I just started to really be really become aware of thinking about and factoring into my comedy right before all this happened. So. Right. And, you know, and I knew that I had some comedic talent. I mean, I've been teaching job searching classes since 2004. So I've gotten feedback from my students all along that what was typically seen as like a very dry subject was delivered with a lot of humor and antidotes and all the rest of that to make it more engaging. I get that feedback on, on my book that I wrote about job searching that's called uh, Get a Job Without Going Crazy. You know, it's certainly not dry and boring. So making a leap into comedy, it wasn't too far off. And as far as like pacing and things like that, I mean, I did have some of the radio experience too. So there's, it wasn't like starting off dry. It's like, I'm a, you know, HR and accountant person with no sense of humor and I'm going to go up there and tell dad jokes. It wasn't ever that bad. Yeah. At least I don't think so. Yeah. Well, maybe um, we're kind of dad jokes. Well, there's an audience for all kinds of jokes. So I have a friend that loves dad jokes. Um, you know, there's, there's an audience for all kinds of jokes. You know, not everybody has to be edgy or dirty or, you know, um, or a storyteller even, you know, there's, there's, because comedy is an art form and there's all kinds of artists um just like with any other art form there's people that work in all kinds of mediums um so you know the there there's millions of people billions of people in the world and they all have different kinds of sense of humors so there's going to be there needs to be a comedian for all the different audiences that there are and we all have our own path to get here and uh, some people that path starts with comedy classes, you know? Um, but like, for me, like the art, like comedy has really um, helped with my confidence and just things like that. Whereas you may, you were coming at it probably already cause you already had all these backgrounds and all these other things. Um, so like, I'm just curious, like what, like kind of what value has comedy added on top of what you already had? So I would say with, with comedy, it has a certain edge and freedom to it that what I do with the other stuff, I don't. And it is in some ways a um, good avenue to work through some things. So uh, for example, last April, my mom who I was doing partial care of, she fell and broke her pelvis. And it was just like this, a nightmare situation. I mean, she was living on her own and I had been going over there a couple of times a week and taking care of her. And then after that, it was just like, you couldn't believe how awful things got so quickly. You know, they, they had her in a nursing home for up to 20 days and the insurance went to like a copay. So they sent her home. But I mean, we were trying to do 24 seven care with no support from anyone else. I mean, it was so bad. It was me and then my stepmom my yeah my mom's husband's ex-husband's wife came up to help me with this that's how bad it was and um you know she was only home for a week and then she went right back into the 
long-term care facility, nursing facility, because we just couldn't deal with this. And at the same time, simultaneously, I'm bipolar, and that kicked off into like a massive, massive, massive downward spiral. And, you know, that I don't know if you've ever had anything, issues with depression or things like that. Oh, I have. Yeah, but it, you know, it gets to its very worst. You, you can't even talk to anybody about it because like those self voices are saying you don't deserve to ask for help. I mean, that's the kind of, for me, it's that I don't want to burden anybody with it. I don't want to scare anybody because my thoughts are so scary to me that Mm -hmm. I don't want to share them with someone else that cares about me and I don't have a therapist, but you know, uh, because I don't want to scare them or worry them about me. Um, and then there's also, yeah, the voice that's telling me that it won't matter. We'll do any good. No one can help you. No yeah. one, can, no one can help you. No one can make it better. There's nothing that's going to help this. Nothing mm-hmm. can make it better. So yeah. yeah, no, I, I struggle. I've struggled with depression my entire life, even in childhood. And then I struggled with anxiety for at least the last 15 years or so. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, all this stuff was happening with my mom and Ron reaches out to me and he's like, do you want to do a show? And I'm like, there's no possible way I can do a show right now. But, you know, so things settled down with mom. She's in an assisted living facility now um, permanently. And I knew I was going to be okay by May when I was able to start writing some material around my mom. Of course, it wasn't about, you know, oh my God, she lost her mind or oh my God, she fell and broke her pelvis. It's stuff like, you know, my mom was the worst cook on the planet. It still is. (laughs) Well, it's even worse now because no recipes stick. But uh, we got booked to do a clean show, which I had never done before. So I had to build a 15 minute set of all clean material. And I was able to have a solid five minutes on my mom's awful cooking and all the rest of this. And like me and me and my husband got married. My mom lived with us for 11 years and um, building things into that. And that's when I knew I was going to be okay because I was able to process it on a different level instead of focusing on the tragedy of what was going on. Yeah, so that's kind of, that is the goal of the nonprofit is to to teach people like women and LGBTQIA community and troubled youth comedy, um, because even if they don't go and be comedians and do anything with it, just teaching them a different way to look at things and a different way to process things, um, even if you don't do jokes about the actual trauma, it just Mm -hmm. makes you look at things differently. And then for me, like, I mean, I have written jokes about my actual trauma. And even if I don't tell them or, or tell them often, the fact that I was able to write that, um, find some humor in the worst thing that ever happened to me really felt just powerful. Um, like I, like I've, I've overcome it. Um, you know, and I'm just now starting to write, you know, I want to write more material about my mental illness and my experiences with that. Um, and I do, I mean, it's, it's weaved into my comedy because my mental illness has, uh, is what caused me to make some of the, um, 
decisions I've made that led me to experiences that I now write comedy about, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so it's kind of weaved in there, but yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great, because like, yeah, that is kind of the goal is to just teach people comedy and improv as a outlet to process, to help them process whatever it is they've gone through. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting too, because it's like when I was a kid, you know, my parents were going through an ugly divorce and my, my older sister was like pregnant and with a real scumbag and all the rest of this. And so, you know, I'm, have like this very rare form of bipolar that it started presenting in like third and fourth grade and stuff like this. And, you know, the reason why I got into comedy then, why did I want to do that as a kid was it's like, I would like watch the stand-up comics on TV. So Robin Williams and George Carlin and stuff like this and hearing them tell their stories with humor mixed in there. And it felt like some, if they felt like my friends. And that's why I was like into radio too, because it's like there's these guys or gals on the radio every day and they're helping me get ready for my morning. And I don't have to think about I'm going to get my sh the shit kicked out of me at school once again today. Or I'm going to come home. I was a latchkey kid. I'm a classic uh, Gen Xer that way. I mean, yeah, me too. Work as soon as she could. So, you know, it's like, who are my friends when I'm hanging out in the afternoon? It's all like, you know, G.I. Joe and Transformers. Those were my friends. <laughs> My friends were dead squirrels, so. Yeah, <laughs> squirrels. <laughs> yeah, I had a squirrel graveyard. That mm -hmm. was my friends in like fifth grade. Yeah, see, that's why I have so many like action figures today, man. Those are my friends. <laughs> yeah. I had dead squirrels and a baby brother I took care of. <laughs> <laughs> At least it wasn't uh, baby squirrels and a dead brother. Yes, the baby squirrels were dying, not the, although I did want to kill my little brother because uh, I was like 11, you know, and there was this baby that just wouldn't stop crying because he wanted my mom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and just like, ah. Uh. Just like Labyrinth, you know? Yeah. Yes. Yes, except I was 11, not 16. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> By 16, I was like, I'm not watching him anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you know, another thing about me just kind of like I definitely weave a lot into my humor is that you know I'm a recovering addict and an alcoholic so I've actually been sober for 20 years and it, it there's like just bizarre things in my story that just naturally fall into comedy like uh I was with the morning show uh here in Denver in 98 through 99 and then I quit that job and more awful things happen and then I ended up getting a job as a, at a strip club that I was the DJ though I never danced and that's where I was actually working when I got sober and it was a real glamorous kind of job too because it's like not only was I the DJ it was part-time day shift during the weekdays so as you can imagine that's a that's an interesting environment that certainly breeds a lot of a lot of jokes within it and it was in Boulder. So strip clubs in Boulder are something different too. <laughs> I didn't even I didn't even think that I don't know why. There's strip clubs in Boulder. I <laughs> I don't know why that is shocking to me. Just when I think of Boulder, I don't think of strip clubs. 
it is actually not legally allowed to be a strip club in the city of Boulder. Wow. So they are across the street from the city line. What's it called? It's called the bus stop. Is it good? Is it a nice one? It's a strip club in Boulder. <laughs> imagine like a strip club in Boulder having like, um, I don't know, classier chicks. <laughs> no, no, not even, not really. I mean, because, you know, some strip clubs are better than others. Like the first strip club I ever went to was in Wichita and it was gross. Like not necessarily like, yeah, the women, but like cloth seats and the carpet was sticky and I was just, I couldn't even stop thinking about like how disgusting the chair I was in to even like think about anything else. I was just like, ah, the germs. Um, well, it wasn't the kind of strip club, you know, like it wasn't like the diamond cabaret. It didn't have like the steak buffet. It wasn't strippers that Trump could afford afford yeah. I mean, or like, nor was it the worst. It wasn't the paper tiger. If you've spent any time in Denver, the paper tiger was like the scummiest strip. I've club. never been to a strip club here. Yeah. Well, the paper tiger is now no longer in business is pretty awful. And it was just down the street from the uh, Waffle House. So, you know, oh, yeah. you can see the kind of clientele there. Uh, so the the bus stop, it's more like the strippers that your creepy uncle could afford. And, you know, the day oh, I can afford. is always interesting anyways, because it, it takes a certain kind of guy who wants to see boobs and beer at 1130 on a Tuesday. Is there, are the seats cloth and is it carpeted? <laughs> uh it was carpeted uh, i don't think the seats were cloth though but here's the thing about a strip club that a lot of people don't realize it's so easy to say oh they got daddy issues and shit like that it's like no 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 in a real strip club environment the women are actually the one who are in control oh no yeah i uh i've been to i've been to two strip clubs i went to one in omaha that was um the the, the comedy the comedian dudes took me there thinking they were going to like corrupt me and then they left two hours before I did. Um, but it was like a BYOB, like private club thing, because that's how they have to do it. And um, it was pretty clean. But the, the women had, the strippers had to use the same restroom as the, as the customers, the female customers. So they were in there when I was um, going to the bathroom and stuff, and I was drunk. So I was talking to them. And... Um, and I watched, you know, I did a lot of just like, like observation, just, I just, cause I'd never been to one really. Um, mm -hmm. And so I just, I just spent a lot of my time there, especially after my friends left, just watching these women work these fucking idiots and um, how there were, they all had their own kind of, of way they did it. They had, there was one that just walked around like her shit didn't stink and she was the hottest thing there and she kind of was, and there were some men that really liked that and chased that and wanted that, and they wanted to pay for her because she was the busiest and the hardest to get, and then, you know, there were other men that were resentful of that, and they, you know, so it was just, it was very interesting on, like, an anthropological, you know, just sociological observation of what was going on in the strip club, and uh, my, the best part for me was when I was in the bathroom and um, one of the strippers, you know, she used the restroom and before she left, she like bent over into the full length mirror and checked. And I was like, oh, are you checking for toilet paper? She's like, yeah. I was like, 
See, I never would think mm -hmm. to do that. <laughs> She's like, well, you learn the hard way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was really interesting too, because it's like, I'm bi. As yeah, well. me too. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, there's some benefits with the job, but I also like, even in the, the worst of my addiction and alcoholism, it's like, I had like these weird standards I had to sit to with. So it's like, I had this standard that I would never sleep with anybody I ever worked with. And so number one, the, the gals loved working with me because I wouldn't tell them what to do. I would play the songs they wanted to dance to. It wasn't like some of the other guy DJs there who were just like, oh, today is 80s day. Everybody's going to dance to 80s all day long because I got a new 80s CD. And the girl just gets sick of it. It just sucks. Nobody's having fun, right? Now it's a job. It's not a party. But because uh, they, they knew and I would flirt with them and I would hit on him and I'd flirt them up when I was on the microphone, which the guys would love because now they got this sexy voice talking about the girls. Yeah. And then some of the dancers would be like, they would come up into my booth and we were not an all nude um, shop at all, you know, but they would like come in and they're like, oh, do you think I have this shaved pretty nicely? It's like, yeah, it looks good enough to eat. Get out there and dance, honey. <laughs> you know? But uh, you know how that is when you can't have what you want. They're going to go after it. Yeah. Yeah, they are like, I think that like um, strippers, sex workers, whatever, everyone, um, they're not all these people that are damaged and being exploited. Um, uh -uh. I mean, it, there's some there, but by and large, you know, most of us knew what we were doing. But the thing was funny, I mean, that's where I was working when I actually got sober. So... When I got sober, it was all like a failed suicide attempt, which is its own funny story. Actually, it's kind of funny. But um, so I get picked up and I get put into the 72 hour spin dry detox in uh, Wheat Ridge. And so I missed like a couple of shifts and I show up back at the strip club to check in. I'm checking the girls in on the start of the day. And they're like, gee, Donna, where were you? You were gone for like three days. And I go, yeah, I was in detox. It turns out I'm an alcoholic because I had no idea. And all the girls were like, oh, Donna, we could have told you that. So if you got a bunch of strippers telling you that you got a problem with drinking, you probably should go talk to somebody about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hung out with some strippers in like 99 when I was partying a lot because um, they have good drugs. But um, uh I remember being invited to like my first house party that was like uh, three strippers that lived together in this big house. And for some reason I was expecting it to just be like a big naked orgy or, you know what I mean? And so I went there a little like hesitant and it was not, they had, um, they had husbands and boyfriends and uh, a couple of them had children that were, you know, in bed and it was it was just like any other normal party and well, you know, like people yeah i know yeah and so i got you know i got i got drunk and i was talking to one of them she's like no i like actually having my clothes on <laughs> she's mm -hmm. like i spend all this time at work naked so i'm fine i i don't walk around the house naked i don't you know i i i like to have clothes on 
And I was like, whoa. I was like 21, so I'm mm -hmm. naive. But a little bit older than that, I'll admit it. Yeah. <laughs> well, so you got a late start. I didn't start comedy until I was 38. So um you got kind of a late start in stand-up anyway. I did. I did. I was like 48 because I'm yeah. 50 now. So you look great. Yeah, most people don't guess that. Yeah. Neither. I'm 42. Most people think I'm I get between like 30 and 35 now. I used to get I'm not in my twenties anymore. Yeah, it still makes a great play on stage because nobody can guess how old I am. So the, I got a whole bunch of stuff with that. But I have one joke because people in the joke, I wrote it when I was 38. So it's like, um, and this is true. Like people will be like, you know, 42, you look really good for 42. And like, I know they're trying to compliment me, but in my head, I just hear you look really good for a dried up old bitch, you know? Yeah. So. The one I hate is when you like run across somebody you haven't seen in a while and they're like, oh, wow, you've lost so much weight. And it's like, hey, you bitch, I just gained 10 pounds. How, how much of a fat fuck did you think I was in the first place? Yeah, I lost 15 pounds in three weeks once due to just a high level of stress and anxiety. And I was miserable. And people were like, oh, my God, you're losing weight. You look great. And I'm like, yeah, I fucking hate everything and I can't eat. So thanks. I'm living off of cigarettes and caffeine cool yeah it's awesome <laughs> so now i'm really careful about commenting on someone's weight loss unless i know they were trying to lose weight yeah yeah I, I, my mom died and i hate everything so i lost weight thank you yeah yeah my mom didn't die but that was just what came to my mind <laughs> yeah. no, i'm glad that i'm married because you know at my age it's like I'm too old to be a MILF, I'm too broke to be a cougar, and I'm too young for the granny fetish site, so. Yeah. Better, better stay married. Yeah, I, I have a lot of material about that too, about how, like, uh, just settle. <laughs> I didn't settle. <laughs> well, no, I'm just saying like, a lot of people wanna leave, like when people have been in a long relationship, whether they're married or not, they start to get an itch and think maybe the grass is greener, you know, out there. And like, they see their single friends and sometimes they think it looks fun. And I'm just like, it's not, okay. Just, just, I know things maybe be getting a little boring, but the grass is not greener, just settle. It's terrible out there. And the older you get, the worse it is. Mm -hmm. dating is a fucking nightmare at 42 it's an absolute there's just nothing left yeah i just can't even imagine i just how yeah. long have you been married 13 years oh yeah so you got right just in time yeah so 35 yeah you you got married right before it got real bad mm -hmm. because like it like it was bad enough when i was 30 but since i've been 40 it's just been exponentially worse to try yeah. to eat because there's just nothing left and i to get somebody that's not completely fucking jaded and broken i have to go younger than i am comfortable doing mm -hmm. you have to get them young <laughs> before yeah. the world has broken them and yeah well, my thing was i used to date like much older men so it's like my husband's actually like a year and a half younger than me so it's like i would go to somebody my age or a little bit younger and then i would go to somebody like 18 years older than me then i would go to somebody who's like my age or younger and then like 17 years older than me i've been keeping at 
I'd say for the last five or six years, I've been keeping whoever I'm with is staying in their eight, the range of 29 to 31. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they get about 31 and then we break up, not because of their age. And then I find somebody else that's in that age range. My last, the last guy I did, it was like 35. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm upping it a little, but it's not anything I've done intentionally. Mm-hmm. It's just... Yeah. What is, I don't really like old guys. Well, at this point, if I had to go with somebody like 18 years older than me, that's 68. That's really fucking old. It's like, no, no, I don't want ball sex that wrinkly. Right? That's what it comes down to. I'll deal with my husband's wrinkly ball sex, you know. You go into those balls, though. Get there. I'm part of the process now. You saw them before that. You can remember the 35-year-old balls, you know. You didn't start out with 60-year-old balls or however 50-year-old balls. That's my, I have a joke about that too, about how like men, my theory is men mature to about at about 30 and however mature they're going to be, unless something major happens in their life, that's about how mature they, they stay. And after that, it's just a matter of whether you want to deal with old balls or not. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, they don't mature past 30 men, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, the good thing about Ryan is we have a lot of things in common. So when we met um, on our very, very first date, I was trying to prove to him how much of a nerd I was. I was all like, I'm such a nerd. I have a whole bunch of Legos that are mint in the box and you can't even open them. And so he goes, his, his follow-up line on that was, well, you could come over to my house because I already have my Legos open. And Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, and we actually had like a Star Wars wedding because we're both massive Star Wars fans. And no, we did not do Leia in Han. We actually created our own characters. We got professional costumes made for us. So uh, he was a Jedi Knight and I was a Sith recovered. So it was, a, it was a fun wedding, that's for sure. We actually got married on Halloween. So every year we do these massive Halloween displays and it gets bigger every year. So people always ask, what are you doing for your, um, for your anniversary? And we go the same thing every year. We're going to be scaring children. That's what we do. (laughs) I know that my priorities have changed as far as what I'm looking for the older I've gotten because, you know, I was, I had kids. And so originally I was trying to find a replacement, you know, a a co-parent um, and that's not something I have to worry about anymore. Um, and now it's, yeah. I, and, I, and when I was younger, it was like, you're hot and you smell good. Let's do this. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. uh, now it's, uh, yeah, I want someone that I have things in common with thing. I want someone I can talk to and hang out with and enjoy their company. And that has taken priority over maybe like the hottest sex I've ever had. Whereas like when I was younger, if we didn't have a good sex life or it wasn't like the best sex ever, then I, you know, they can't be the one. Um, and that's taken like so much. I mean, obviously that needs to be a factor in it. Uh, but that's not something that's gonna- interesting enough. The, the chances of the sex getting better when you're in the committed relationship and you understand each other, it actually goes up because in ideally you should be able to communicate more. Yeah. 
I, also, my only problem that's going to matter in 20 years. When right. I, well, my only problem is I'm way kinkier than I am, so. <laughs> I'm way more kinky, so. Yeah, but like eventually that part of your relationship does peter off as you get old. You know what I mean? It's just a, it's, I mean, not that old people don't get down, but it's just, you know, when your body starts failing you, you know, whether, whether you want it or don't want it isn't a factor. It's like whether you can do it or not do it is a factor. And so, um, you know, you got hip replacements and stuff. And so like, what's really going to matter in the long term if you're really talking about dating somebody and uh, being with them because you want to be with them till you're dead, what's going to matter when I'm 80 years old? You know, not that they had a big penis. Um, that's not it's going to shrink anyway. Oh, yeah. I, I, you were talking earlier about your mom. I used to do, uh, briefly, I did in-home, like, non-medical care for people. A lot of it was respite care for caretakers so they could just have a break um, and stuff. So I saw a lot of, I, I know how hard it is on people when they're trying to take care of somebody 24-7 that, um, that can't use the restroom, that has to be in diapers and stuff like that. And just, I can't, I can't imagine having to, 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 to do that for my own mother. Cause you know, your parents are like, they're the ones that take care of you. And just, I can't imagine, um, you know, doing that, having to go through that with my, with my own parent. And, um, but I did take care, you know, of men occasionally. And one guy that it's not something anybody warned me happens, but I opened up his adult diaper and he had no penis. It was completely inside of him. Like a, like a belly button. Like my God, kind of like an Audi, like the tip was sticking out. Yeah. Um, and I had a reaction because my face does not hide my emotions. Right. So kind of was like, you know, and he saw that and got very upset, but like, no one warned me that happens. I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. That didn't. No, yeah. That's pretty harsh. <laughs> he shriveled up inside of him. Mm -hmm. the most grotesque thing I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, yeah. It was, I was just, I was like, Oh my God. And then like, yeah, it was because if they, if they get feces on there, you got to clean it. So you got to. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very uncomfortable. <laughs> I imagine. Yeah. So oh, I didn't man. take care of men anymore after him. I was like, I don't want any more male assignments. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I, I, cool. mm -hmm. I can handle, handle ravaged female vaginas. Better than I can, peanut. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but no, yeah, it's hard. I actually started doing it because um, I needed a second job. And a lot of it was like overnight shifts and stuff like that. And hang on, buddy. And um, I was afraid to get old. And I was afraid of dying. And I thought like kind of like submersion, submersion, you know, like, therapy you know like i'll get it'll but it just made it worse oh i'm sure yeah no one's ready to die it didn't matter how old they were or how bad their health was no one was ever like i'm ready i've lived a good life like in the movies not once they were all like i don't want to die and i was like oh my god yeah it just made it all worse yeah <laughs> so, you couldn't even bribe them with jesus yeah 
No, yeah, they were all very religious and believed mm -hmm. they were going to die and go to heaven, and they were still terrified. Mm -hmm. Like, if I truly believed in all that and thought that I was going to die and go to a better place, um, I, I wouldn't be so scared because the world sucks. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think, yeah, you have a very unique path. Um, I've done a lot of these interviews so far. You know, I've talked to a lot of comedians. You definitely have a unique path that you got into it. And that can only be beneficial to your comedy. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's definitely a very interesting perspective. And, you know, it's nice to be able to share the rest of my story. Is like uh, for when, when I'm doing like my keynote speeches, I talk about how I went from the business office at the radio station as a single mom with three kids, still managed to get on the morning show. Left that. I don't get into all the reasons why, but some of them I do. And bottoming out drunk. Uh, yeah, then taking that time to reassess where do I want to be in my life, what were my passions, and then moving back into broadcasting on the HR side and, and staying with, I was actually with Channel 6, uh, which is the PBS station out here in Denver. So I, I went from Metallica to Elmo. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's... I think it's really a testament to the power of comedy helping heal things because you you did have all these other outlets, you know, you did have other kind of like creative outlets and you did have other outlets that helped um, like build your confidence, whereas comedy really helped me just build my confidence. But, but it, you know, like you were talking about how it, it really helped you through like some dark times. Um, in a way that these other outlets didn't allow you to mm -hmm. really show like kind of what the purpose of art of comedy and what we're trying to do. Um, I say we, but it's me. I guess I technically have a board. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you need one of those for the nonprofit status. Yeah. Oh, but even when I did my festivals, like the emails always say we, like there's, or the website says we and all this stuff, but there's no we. Mm -hmm. it's just me yeah I use the royal we a lot because I do have staff so I had to train myself to say we all the time but you know my daughter works with with me and um so she prefers the they pronouns and um so she has an interesting path there themselves <laughs> yeah my youngest child uh is non-binary and um you know, I've gotten really good with a lot of things, like they changed their name. That was hard a little bit. Um, I was just like, look, if I call you the wrong name, just don't respond. And eventually I'll figure it out. And so I got the name down real easy. It's like, I almost forget sometimes that they had a different name, but the pronouns, like I'm doing it right now because I'm really thinking about it. Mm -hmm. um, and I do it pretty well in typing. Um, I figured out like when people ask me like how many kids do you have like do you have sons or daughters I'm like I have two daughters they're 23 and 21 my son's 19 and my youngest is 18 and mm -hmm. so far no one has been like oh what is your youngest they just accept it you know they don't even think about it's like they don't even think about whether I'm talking about having a son or a daughter but yeah the pronouns have been the hardest and it's not that I don't respect it and don't care to not, you know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's just retraining our brains. And actually I find it kind of 
interesting because my very first time on stage the very first set uh i get a lot of confusion from people they don't know if i'm gay or bi or straight or or whatever <laughs> and so I, I wrote a whole bunch of jokes about that and the the end of it is the, the big punchline is like well i think i'm actually a transgender gay man but i don't want to take all the time and money to still just end up sucking a dick <laughs> but it's like it made me kind of examine that too it's all like i think part of me really is a transgender gay man <laughs> no my child coming out and being you know so open about who they are and just learning different terms that i didn't even know were a thing like i've always felt different um and not very feminine most of the time um but i was not like a tomboy i wasn't into boy things i wasn't into sports or being very uh physically active like most tomboys are but i did not subscribe to a lot like my the way my brain thought did not match a lot of the females that I know. And so, but I didn't have terms for it, like gender fluid or whatever, which is what I identify now as gender fluid. But I do use female pronouns. They feel comfortable to me. I don't feel a need to change my name. Um, I present as a, you know, female, like nobody. Um, yeah, I pretty much present female too, but it's it's been kind of freeing to actually incorporate that they and thems and, and all that stuff into my regular speech. And then the other thing too, it's like I believe in reincarnation. So uh, I just have to be patient and expect that next time around I'm going to get the right body. <laughs> yeah, I think that I, um, I say I'm like about 30% dude. Um, so I am predominantly, I do fall on the female side of the spectrum more than the male side. Um, but the, the, the dude that I am is a pig and, um, you know, and so I really don't, I don't, another term that my kids taught me was hetero romantic. Um, I fall in love with men, whether they're cis men or trans men or whatever. I fall in love with people that identify as men. Um, uh, and um, I'm attracted to women, non-binary. I'm attracted to all, all kinds of genders. Um, so I guess that makes me pansexual. But I am... I well, don't... I'm married, so I'm asexual now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wish I was asexual sometimes. But I wish I was asexual and aromantic, because those people don't care about any of it. <laughs> they don't care about romance. They don't care about sex. Man. Yeah. So that's what's great about Ryan, is he understands that, you know, I, I, I totally hate Valentine's Day. It's the worst. So mm -hmm. after 10 years of training, he's all like, because he, he would say, are you sure you don't want anything for Valentine's Day? I go, no, I hate this day. It's the worst. And he's all like, this, you're not going to like trap me. It's like, no, it's not like the chick thing where I say no. And then if you don't show up with anything, then I get pissed off because you should have known. I don't I hate that shit. I don't play those games. But if he's going to yeah. get some toys, hey. Yeah, I'll always take toys. No, um, I don't care about Valentine's because I think that if, you have a good relationship it's not necessary like my girls dad 
if you're with him, you need Valentine's because it's probably the only day of the year that you're going to be guaranteed any sort of romance. Mm. Um, you know, but I've never, I, I, I've never cared about Valentine's. I also really don't give a shit about anniversaries. Um, I'm a very dude like that. I will forget about them. And there's been many times I've been with somebody and we're sitting there watching TV and I'm like, our anniversary was two days ago. We should probably go to dinner or something. You know, it's, but I think that when you're in a healthy, happy relationship, you celebrate your love every day. And it's, you don't need these things to, to, to do it because you already are. Yeah. 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 I'm just sure Brian's glad that I'm doing comedy outside the house. He doesn't come to my shows very often because he gets it all here. But he's like the worst, harshest critic. He's like the ultimate straight man. So it's like, I'll, I'll write something and I go, oh, look, this is really funny. And I'll test it out on him. And he'll just stand there in the kitchen and goes. He's yeah, like, he's not He's not your target audience. No, I don't want him to come to my shows anyways. He's sit there with that stony face. It's like, no, no, I can't look at you. Yeah, my ex, my last ex-husband, I had three. He, um, you know, I've been doing comedy maybe less than a year when we got together. And when we first got together, first I told him that comedy was going to come first. Um, mm -hmm. And he said he was cool with that. And then he turned out not to be. And, um, you know, at first he was like, no, I'll come to all of Mike's. I'll come to all your shows. And I was mm -hmm. like, you're going to, you're going to change your mind, especially about the mics." Um, yeah, and that, I mean, he would come and he made friends with the comedians and he would hang out with them, but he stopped coming to all of them. And that, like, especially, it's kind of like the same thing with musicians. It's like at first the girlfriends come and then, you know, the wives, they don't come to everything. They'll come yeah. if, like another band's playing that they really want to see, but they don't give a shit about seeing their husband play the same 15 songs they've heard over and over again. Yeah. Um, yeah, but now it is cool because my oldest son is into the comedy stuff and he's 32 so and it's interesting to see his jokes about growing up in our fucked up family because he's the different perspective on it so they do comedy here yeah yeah name? uh james nay he's only done the one show the the show i produced in february is his first time on stage okay doing the virtual comedy shows with us because he's uh, trapped in our house with us <laughs> he moved in in like January, so mm -hmm. I'll check. I'll 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 see if I can keep an eye out when things start because you know the newbie showcase. If you go to my YouTube page or my Facebook page, uh, the YouTube page has got some of his stuff on it. So that's Coyote Visions Productions on YouTube. Uh, same thing on Facebook, Coyote Visions Productions, and uh, yeah, that's got his step his uh first set on there you know i've tried to my kids are young but like my younger daughter um and my younger child they would also make a good comedian but uh they don't seem to be interested in it but yeah. I when i formally launch my podcast sometime soon i'm sure james is going to be on there a lot yeah, my younger daughter is super funny, and she came here with me when she was 17. We came to Denver for like a week, and she went to nine open mics with me that week, and she liked liked it, and she actually helped me with some of my jokes, because she heard me tell them over and over again and gave me some tips on just the way I was saying things, like as an audience member. She's like, it's really hard for me to sit, hear what you're, 
you, you go up too high when you say that word and it's hard to understand what you're saying. And so I was like, Oh my. And yeah, so she's actually, and she's super, super funny. Just, and she has anxiety. I think she'd make a great comedian, but we'll see. Maybe the bug will bite her one day. Yeah. That would be amazing. <laughs> that would be amazing if my kid was a comedian. I would love that so much to have that kind of, connection and bond and be able to talk comedy shop with my kid that would be great yeah it's pretty cool it's very encouraging having james around yeah that'd be nice just a whole comp my family's pretty my little brother's a comedian he started mm -hmm. six months before i did um and so you know we're we're kind of a jokey family because we my family doesn't like to talk about bad things they don't like to talk about negative unhappy things you know so we've always been kind of jokey and we do roast each other so you know there's been that but it's pretty amazing um yeah so yeah i just i think we can wrap it up yeah the, these are not going exactly like i intended because that's just the way life is like you I have like a plan in my head and so I've been trying to just let them kind of um like just let the conversation flow as it as it would naturally and try to hit certain points about you know that 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 factor into art of comedy and then I'm going to kind of edit that into that and then um I'll probably you know, I can use the rest. If it was a good, interesting, interesting conversation like we've had, we've had like an interesting conversation about a whole bunch of different stuff that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the Art of Comedy podcast. But yeah, I'll definitely, you know, edit that to be into my other podcast. So this has been a really, a really interesting conversation. You definitely have a different, unique path that led you to comedy and your background. And uh, I think you're actually the first like bi, gay, queer, person I've interviewed I want to interview more because that's like the different like that's like the second leg of things after I focus on females is is the LGBTQIA community and I want to get more voices out there because you you identify like this but you're married to a man you know what I mean and so mm -hmm. people when people meet you and they see you they see a cis straight woman because you're mm -hmm. married to a man but that doesn't negate your other identities just because you happen to be married to a man yeah yeah so I think it's a very, you have a unique voice and a unique story and a unique history that makes you, you know, an interesting, unique comic. Um, I certainly hope so. I, I, thank you very much. I'll take that as a, as a compliment. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited. Hopefully the fest, the festival will happen, whether it happens July 16th through the 19th. I don't know for sure. I'm, I'm going forward as if it is, but it will happen at some point and the great thing is is like if i have to change the dates and i can't get a lot of the out-of-town comedians that are on it to be able to do those dates there's the majority of the people in the festival are colorado comedians so mm -hmm. which is amazing that i have i think at this point i think maybe 40 of the 50 something that have confirmed they can go are somewhere in colorado um which is fine with me. It's fine with me if it's all Colorado comedians because we have so much talent here for female comedians. But I really like to. I just I am I'm kind of shocked that there aren't more queer comedians or trans comedians or whatever here. I expected there to be more, and I know they're out there in the population. 
mm-hmm. and that they they just um, they just need the support and someone to reach out to them and and um, so yeah my, my my grand scheme goal of everything is to is to build the comedy community to have more diverse voices um, than we have now and get just get more of the basically anybody but a cisgender mm-hmm. male voice because uh, there's not even a lot of gay comedians like male gay comedians there's not a lot of lesbian comedians there's not you know what i mean mm-hmm. and um i want more of us i want more voice the more i think the more voices we have the more stories we have the more um kind of different you know um i can't think of the word not variety well it is variety yeah variety but that's not the word i was thinking diversity diversity there we go the more yeah. diversity we have in the scene um, and just in comedy as a whole, you know, the more different kind of audience members we can bring in, the more, because um, a lot of people want to go see comedy they can relate to. And if they don't see their voice being, you know, their voice out there, they, you know, they're not going to come there. They get sick of just listening to the same voices all the time. So the more voices we can get out there, the more we can, um, the better audience we can get, the more people we can get. And also just like in a grand scheme of things, the more voices we get out into the media and out into the world for people to see that, um, you know, I, I dream of a world where people don't look at you and, and immediately assume you're a cisgender or straight female just because you're married to a man and you appear to be female. Where people stop making those assumptions, but the only way we get there is if they learn that there's all these different kinds of voices out there. And just people in small towns, like little towns in Kansas that don't have um, exposure to the different kinds of people that they're aware of anyway, to be able to see them and hear their stories and be like, Oh, they're just like me. You know, they have the same relationship struggles. They have the same job struggles and how am I going to pay my rent? You know what I mean? And, And how we're all just, we're all just human beings, regardless of who we fall in love with or who we have sex with or what gender we identify with and just humanizing really all these people that, um, a lot of people just don't come in contact with in their daily life. So that's like my grand big picture dream is just to take over the media with the others. Yeah. Yeah. And besides, you know, it kind of comes down to this. It's like, I I'm a weird person. I know I'm weird. When I see other people embracing their weirdness, it makes me feel better about being weird. Yeah. And that's another thing comedy has done for me too, is that um, comedians are just this, just, you know, misfits and, um, they're all weird and they all have, even the ones that don't seem to have like outward appearances of mental illness or whatever, or maybe they don't, they're all still a little odd and a little weird. And that's, what's beautiful about them. And that's what makes them able to be comedians is because their brain thinks differently. If, you know, it thinks in a different way than the average, the normies, as I like to call Mm non-comedians. And just, just to get into this community to where I'm like, Oh, I'm not weird. And it's allowed me to embrace my weirdness and not stifle it and not um, because I'm loud and I'm in your face. And that's, you know, and I grew up in a conservative 
Wichita, Kansas kind of area where women, you know, that was not good. Women shouldn't act like that, you know, because you're not going to catch a husband because you're a bitch. Um, just that's why I like the podcast, the fat lonely bitch. And it, I actually just got that idea for that like last week because I made a fake comedy album and the fat called fat lonely bitch, uh, for fake comedy album Friday. And that was because I had gotten into it on one of my friends posts on Facebook and, uh, upset a man, uh, which I do a lot. I upset men without even trying, I was trying to upset him. I would totally gaslit him and it worked beautifully. <laughs> and he fucking just, oh man, it was great. Uh, it was a good time. But he, uh, but in his insulting of me, those were the three things he insulted me with was he made fun of my weight, which mm. I know I'm not skinny. I know I'm, I'm fat. I have a lot of fat tissue on my body. I'm aware of this. Um, so you're not telling me anything I don't know. And I've always been, I've never been skinny. So I'm completely comfortable in that. Um, and he called me a fat bitch, which I get called a bitch a lot. And I am, I guess, a mm -hmm. bitch, but I, I, so that's who I am. And that's how I'm going to be. And if you want to perceive me speaking up for myself and telling you like it is and not sugarcoating stuff, if you want to call me a bitch, um, whereas if I was a man, you would see it as a, as a, I'd be strong, you know, good, it'd be a yeah. good attribute, then whatever, call me a bitch, I'll own it. And then he said I was lonely because my profile picture was with my dog. And I'm like, who the fuck isn't lonely right now? Are you kidding me? Yeah. yeah, I'm lonely. So he didn't say anything that I won't admit is the truth about myself. So it wasn't an insult. Yeah, I'm fat, lonely bitch right now, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and so I made the comedy album and I was like, I'm just going to, I'm going to fucking lean into it. And that's a lot of, a lot of times when people try to insult me or put me down, um, I'm like, yeah, that, that's true. I am like that. And that's what makes me unique and special <laughs> mm -hmm. is that yep. I'm a fat, lonely bitch. Yep. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I'm willing to admit it and it's who I am. And that's my personality. And if you don't like it, don't fucking talk to me. Plenty of people do. I have a lot of people that love me just the way yeah. I am. Not romantically, unfortunately, uh, but I have a lot of friends and family and they love me just the way I am. And they, they see it. They see these things that a lot of people see as negative as positive things. Cause you know, if you ask Helen's opinion, she's going to give you her opinion and she's not mm -hmm. going to sugarcoat it. And she's not going to tell you what you want to hear. You're going to hear how she really feels, um, which people say they want until they get it. And then they're like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my feelings. I'm always like truth first, feeling second. <laughs> yeah, that's what's nice about being a career coach is that I, I tell people all the time that it's like, I'm not a counselor, I'm your coach, and I want to talk about your feelings, I just want to tell you what to do. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, that's, if someone comes to me and I don't share, the thing is I don't give my opinion unless I'm asked for it. Um, so if you ask me for my opinion, you better be prepared to get my opinion. Um, mm. and yeah, so then I hate it when people ask me my opinion and then get all butthurt. I'm like, well, don't ask me then. Don't ask me what I think of that shirt. Yeah. I think that shirt's stupid and ugly. You asked. I would have never told you not to wear that shirt out. I would have never told you I don't like your shirt. But you asked me, so I told you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um... 
but yeah, that's been a real benefit of comedy is just um, these amazingly beautifully broken people. Um, and they've been so supportive, like when my dog died and just through this, uh, like I had right before all this happened, my car, I was on a tour and my wheel flew off my car and it was this whole nightmare. And, um, you know, so I did like a fundraiser and people, comedians I didn't even know donated money to it. And, um, I've had several comedian friends just send me $20 because, you know, here, go buy yourself some lunch or, you know what I mean? Cause I knew I was having a tough time or, uh, I'm getting choked up. Uh, you know, or like I was having trouble trying to pay for my antidepressants and I was getting really concerned because I knew that I was already depressed with them. And if I ran out of meds, it could get to a dangerous place that I was afraid to get. And somebody sent me the money to pay for my meds. I mean, I didn't ask for it, but they, you know, just Vimo me the money. And it's just been just an amazing community of comedians, not just ones here in Denver, but all over the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want other people to be able to have that kind of support network that they may not have. Yeah, absolutely. I'm totally getting cheered up right now. It's um, all right. <laughs> I don't like, I don't like crying. I don't like showing emotion. It's the man in me. <laughs> I don't know how to deal with your emotions either. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably why I don't like crying is because I don't like it when other people cry around me because I don't know what to do. I'm like, don't cry. You know, so I'm like, I don't want to do that to anybody else. So yeah, but they're good tears. These are happy. It's happy. Yeah. It's not sad tears. So I guess we can end there before I lose my shit. <laughs> <laughs> that works. Well, thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you. I'm excited to That's meet so you in cool. person when this is all over and, and your son and, and just the festival and, and see your work and what you're doing. It sounds pretty exciting. So cool. Doing a show and want to put me on it. Or when you do your podcast, if, if my voice would factor into that, definitely I'm down. So certainly sounds good. All right. Thank you. Have a good day. All right. Thank you. Uh -huh, bye. Bye.